Blue Wire Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to your latest OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are crossing over with All Eyes on Cleveland and Brad Ward, as we do every single week. We have a pretty fun show here, a lot of stuff to talk about in a short period of time. Uh, sorry about missing yesterday. I, I was actually talking off air with Brad about this 24-hour stomach bug, and I cannot think if Brad and I in two different parts of the state are going through this. It's got to be passing around the state in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you're listening to this and have dealt with it. It is one of the most violent stomach bugs I have ever come across, <laughs> man. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it came through our house. My my oldest son and my wife came down with it, and it is... <laughs> It is um, it's menacing and I wouldn't wish it like Brad told me when he originally had and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Maybe he did wish it on me because I then got it like a week and a half later. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this this thing is like wipe you off the face of the earth for 24 hours. Luckily, Brad, only 24 hours, though, man, because that thing was that thing yes. is wicked. I hope I hope nobody deals with this as they hear this podcast or has dealt with it because it's not fun. Yeah, I, uh, like I said, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It, it, it is a brutal one, so uh, let's, uh, let's hope that nobody uh, nobody else has to go through uh, all that out there. I'm sure some people already have, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a brutal one. It's a brutal one. We're here to talk about football, not uh, spend our time talking about stomach parasites or food poisoning or flu, so we'll move on from that topic. The other thing that went on that is outside of football before we get into it is the uh, LeBron James passes. This is the, the reason we touch on this is two things. It's LeBron and the state of Ohio and the connection to Northeast Ohio in particular, and then obviously also because it's a penultimate record of a, you know, of a of a sport like the passing yardage or touchdown record or rushing yardage record of all time, right? Like those are they're just big records, and it's kind of just interesting to talk about it. I, I I had tweeted out that I didn't have anything great. I was only in eighth grade, Brad, when LeBron was really like in the senior year peak of powers, LeBron, and like I. Uh, I knew he was great and I knew he was special and you, you couldn't you just couldn't couldn't miss it really if you were semi old enough. And I think in middle school years you're kinda of old enough. I went to there's a game here in Columbus, so if anybody's listening to this from Columbus, you probably remember this game or you remember the team in particular around Columbus, a, a City League team is Brookhaven, who had two spectacular players at the time, one Drew Lavender and Brandon Faust, both of which were going to Oklahoma. So random to see guys in that time going to Oklahoma from Columbus, Ohio, but they were great. Lavender was just like five seven five eight point guard who ended up transferring back to xavier and was really 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 good at xavier um but he was like yeah. it was there was a lot of really fantastic moments of back and forth battles between lebron the six eight human species of a human against this five eight five nine andrew La but lavender was just like lightning quick man and it was a great game and came down to the last few seconds but that was like it was at schottenstein center man it was like I was an eighth grader, and I, I, at that time, again, you're coming into like your own as understanding sports in middle school. And I'm like, okay, there'll probably be another LeBron at some point. Like, this is yeah. just how it is. Like, there's this gifted player, and they fills up somehow, some way, fills up twenty thousand seat stadiums like this. And maybe they'll, you know, there'll be another. There never was. There's never another. There's just like, but you're coming up. I, I just remember thinking like, this environment is nuts. Like, this is a high school basketball game. And then I yeah. remember also thinking. It was like, okay, there'll be another one. And there kind of, there were some guys like O.J. Mayo and Bill Walker came through the state of Ohio. And there have been some others that have flirted with this stuff. But the, the thing I think that I was so – I didn't understand was the phenomenon of LeBron. And, like, he kind of came at the time before the the, the social media world had, had really – not even just that, but, like, the cell phone world had taken off to the point where you wanted to see him. So he brought a spectacle the way you can see these other guys – you know, you could see the others, right? Like that have come after him, and you got the 
now it's completely different and there's just less of a desire to see things like but I, it was YouTube like must see tv yep. it was it was unbelievable stuff and there are be- far better stories than i'm telling from people who have who have either grew up in that time or whatever like you know and you know, i know brad hell you played against him which was which is pretty spectacular you had a night of uh 15 points and let's say yeah. you, you scored as many as he did yes yeah, it, <laughs> it was uh crazy today uh i just somebody uh i think winhurst responded to it and i didn't realize it at the time now winhurst has literally brian winhurst the nba reporter has literally like his career career trajectory lines up directly with lebron's right and and good for him right whatever uh Mm -hmm. but he was writing for the akron beacon journal at the time we played saint vincent saint mary the first game of every season because uh, they are right around the corner here in the falls in Akron. Uh, and it was a rivalry for a long time. So I went to Cuyahoga Falls High School. So my senior year in high school, he was a freshman. Um, and we played them at Falls. And, Is this 1999? Uh, 1999. Uh, nice. 2000. 99 going into 2000. Yep. And uh, yeah, so uh, that article that Windhurst wrote was going around Twitter today and I looked at the article and there's my name in the last paragraph for having 15 <laughs> points in the game and I was like oh man yeah of course I remember it uh but when I tell people that the people are like oh yeah sure yeah whatever you know uh, yeah I play against LeBron too you know what I mean so uh you know uh, so people are always always say that. So I never even bring it up, but it was interesting today that it was going around on Twitter, and I thought it was worth pointing out. Uh, but yeah, so we played them. We got crushed, obviously, by like thirty points. Uh, and he was a freshman. Nobody knew who he was, Jake. Nobody. No, I mean, at that point, he was absolutely nobody knew who he was. Uh, he was just. We're like, Imagine you guys didn't have dude? many scouting reports. Yet, no. You know? Because he's a freshman, is his first ever high school game. He's six seven at the time, um, and we're like, "Who is this dude in the starting lineup?" Like, I knew Maverick Carter because uh, mm-hmm. he actually went to the Falls for a while, and uh, and um, he was on the senior on that team too, uh, on their team. So I knew Mav, and, and uh, I'm like, "Who who the hell is this guy starting for you guys?" Like six seven. Of course, it was LeBron James. Um, and they beat us by 30. They went on to win, go undefeated and win the state championship. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, he wasn't bad, I guess. Uh, no. Well, I mean, the thing was, was he, did he, when did he end up going? Was the, that his first year at St. V? Yeah. Or they, like, they won the state championship his freshman year. Yeah. No, no. I'm saying, did he go to middle school there? I, there's some of this history I should know. So like, I guess what I'm saying, um, was he known in the area? Like, yes. Like, yes. Yeah. So, so he would have gone to Bookdale if he went to private school. Or uh, public school, but he went to St. V. So yeah, he. I mean, he came up in the Akron area. So yeah, uh, I was just he like he was known. I just didn't know who he, we didn't know who he was. You know what I mean? Yeah, not like that at least, right? So yeah, yeah, fun not story. In school, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, fun, uh, fun story, man. That's that's crazy. Congrats to LeBron, obviously, and like we'll see yeah. where it goes. He's continuing to leave uh, avenues open, and who knows? He might take this thing from thirty-eight to forty-eight thousand at the rate he's going. Uh, it just yeah, doesn't seriously. seem like he'll ever slow down. He just uh, he never he never plays in a hurry. He never is like he's just like he's you. You look at like you know what happened to Kobe and the and the Achilles and like and it could happen at any moment to LeBron and all that stuff. But he just never looks like he's trying that hard. While he is, 
he just has an ease about him that says, hey, man, this guy might just be able to hover at the three-point line his last few years. Or maybe, I don't know, I guess it'll be interesting to see how hard he wants to go at. Like the, Most of the greats of all time at the end have like had those you know, like a like a nineteen twenty point type of season, or, you know, taper yeah. off, and it'll be interesting to see yeah. if he tacks on a couple of those years, or if he's like, I'm just done. When he's done, he's done, and and he gets a couple of years with his boys, and maybe he decides to be done. But I don't. It's hard to see LeBron being this like grifting fifth, sixth man. You know, it's just it's hard to see him being that guy. You know, yeah, because I mean, let if he wanted to, he could really extend his career if he was willing to when he does fall off more physically, like accept a role, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll, I'll be the four, I'll be the, you know, the three on this team and not be the man on that those teams. And he could probably get a couple extra rings by doing so if he played it right. Uh, the question is, is he willing to be the... Uh, you know, the third guy or the uh, a role player on a championship team. And I don't know if he'll go that path or not. He seems to love the game enough. I thought it was very interesting that he went over to his kids and he was like, they were looking at the scoreboard and he was like, did you see that last night? Uh, and he was like, oh, we got yeah. 18. He's like, should I get it tonight? And they're like, oh, yeah, go ahead and get it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I think I'll get it tonight. <laughs> so uh, it's nuts. It is nuts wild. that like. He can control a game because I have a friend who uh, I went to Muskingum with who's from Akron and he's got, you know, loose friends in LeBron's circle. He visited him down in in uh, South Beach. He, I mean, he's always kind of been around guys. You know, he talks to Mav. He knows Mav like just yeah. the way he, he was convinced that LeBron wasn't going to break it last night. And I understood where he was coming from. And because he didn't think LeBron's mom was going to be there. And like if his mom wasn't in town, she was out of town, which he thought she was. He wasn't going to break it. He was going to kind of hold off and he kind of went all back and forth. Like I saw what he was dressed up in this all black. I'm like, that's not a 27 point outfit, bro. Like that's, that's a, (laughs) he's breaking the record tonight. And then it kind of broke out that he had all these credentials were given out tonight. And then his mother was there and he's like, yeah, "Yeah, he's breaking it tonight. He's like, I didn't know his mom came back and blah, blah, blah. I was like, this is, this is, it's just, it's funny to me because I told him, I'm like, okay, you're telling me LeBron starts like seven of eight, three of three from three, and he's just going to pack it in for the night and they're just going to lose. It's like, that's not right. He he could do that. Right. It's like, it just is so crazy to me how he could control a game. And he probably could have broke. If he went out passionately to score at every stop, like he could have broken that record like three or four years ago. Like it it just, yes, this is not how he plays. Like he kind of lets everything come to him. And then once it comes to him, he kind of works off of whatever the feel of the game. It's just, it's amazing to me how that guy can control a game. And, um, you know, to sometimes that makes people mad, right? Like because they, yeah. they want him to to be this score above everything guy, and it's just not how he's wired. But like, oh hey, I think I need to go get thirty eight tonight. I can go. I can go get thirty eight. You know, it's the biggest stage. People want me to break this record. You yeah. know, everyone's watching. I, I I'll find a way to get to thirty. It's just like imagine Crazy. the highest level and being thirty eight and just being able to do that dictate that stuff so anyway we spent a lot of time on that and i know people aren't tuning in to hear our stories about lebron but nonetheless we uh we shared them we're getting into brown stuff brad another huge accolade coming soon man is like this is one that i feel like has been looming ever since the minute joe uh did he did he did he tear a bicep i can't remember what his last injury was there that that derailed pectoral by i think it was a bicep yeah one of those two from the moment he was sort of like reflection reflection done because it happened like it was slow and then all at once right for joe yep. <laughs> it was like out of nowhere joe was just done 
we thought this can thing. So it, it seems like it's coming tomorrow, though. We're recording on Wednesday. It's Thursday. Do you feel like it's an absolute Stone Cold lock he gets the call tomorrow? I do. I don't. I. It would be a travesty if he didn't. He's uh, the definition of a first ballot Hall of Famer, and uh, I think he gets the call tomorrow for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, it'll be a really cool moment when uh, when he gets that, and they they documented the Browns do. So the Browns have not had many. We've gone through this. I actually think you and I went through it. They have not had many Hall of Fame opportunities to celebrate as a fan base. So it will it will be one that I think everyone is a feel good story, Brad. That everyone should celebrate, right? Like. The Browns have just it had is. such a long run of we haven't found a, a really fantastic player for 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 so long, really, since they came back, obviously, because we're here now and talking about this. And it's been since uh, it's been since uh, I, I would I think, again, I don't want to go back and look it up real quick. But uh, Ozzy Newsome, I think, was the last one that they put in. I know there have been guys who have flirted with it. Right. Matthews and. Some others have sort of flirted with it, but it has been a long time coming. So it should be a really cool thing for all Browns fans to just get behind because there's so many divisive things that happen with this fan base and the way things have gone the past few years. It'll be kind of a nice, this is awesome moment. You know what I mean? Very cool. Uh, And Joe is such a likable guy and uh, such a a good dude and a good representative of the uh, Browns organization, even like, you know, in his... Uh, media days now which he you know is a better media personality than I ever imagined him to be when he was a player uh, but he's terrific and uh, he represents the team very well and uh, it's just all around really cool so uh, awesome awesome for uh, Joe Thomas tomorrow yeah it'll be great I can't wait to see it and I know I think I think from people you talk to he he's expecting it which is you know you would expect yeah. him to expect it but it was yeah. uh it's it's just you never know till you get the actual calls kind of the kind of always the thing another again staying on the same topic and pivoting a little bit is the next thing that came up uh that is is sort of worth spending a little bit of time on is the fifth year option numbers came out right so um, they, they release these sort of as the league year gets close to coming to an end. We're about a month away from the league year cl- clicking over happens around middle of March. Right. So they, they start to put out these forecasts for for people uh, to, to, you know, update the salary cap books and what they're going to be projecting forward. The number came out for the Browns uh, that is particularly interesting is offensive lineman because Jedrick Wills is going to be up. The only first round pick they had that year is going to be up for his fifth year option decision. Um if, if players are selected to one Pro Bowl, the offensive lineman number is 16.6. Now, Jed has not been to a Pro Bowl or alternated into a Pro Bowl, so that doesn't pertain to him. But he has a playtime criteria number here, so he will be the next tier down. Boy, the quarterback number is the one that jumps. Man, if you go to a Pro Bowl as a quarterback, you go from $29 million. If you don't go to one, you go down to 23 That's crazy. But offensive line goes from 16.6 to 14.1. So yeah. he will certainly, as a three-year starter, be in that criteria there. Uh, 14.1 will be the number. There have been some folks who have uh, pretty vocally said they don't expect him to have that option picked up. Some going so far as to saying they don't think he's a sure end to start next year. And Jed has yeah. become a divisive topic, Brad. He's become um, a highlight of uh, people wanting to, to draw attention to him not playing hard enough and use that as an example of who he is in totality. And while I do want Jed to play harder at times and finish plays at times, like, they gloss over a lot of the great things that he does. And in that result, I think the the reviews are way too out and and in negative uh, space about who Jed is and what he can do and the replacement of players. And I think 14.1 is an interesting number. So I'll just kind of ask you first, 
Are you comfortable at 14? He's going to play. He's on a cheap number next year. He's still on the rookie deal. So he's on a cheap number next year, Brad. It's like yep. $4 million. Yep. That's not even a question. I can't. I cannot even fathom. I think you can. Let me give you my opinion. You can. You can riff off of that. I could yeah. see them in a world declining the fifth year option. Like I could see them in a world as saying, "We want to mo." There, there's a couple angles to take with that. We want to motivate him. We don't want to just land. We haven't felt like Jed has reached the potential we think he has. Right. So we want to motivate him. We're going to decline that fifth year, but. We obviously want to keep him, so we're going to see if this motivates him to understand that not everything's just going to be given to him. He's going to have to earn that next contract from us. We're going to be willing to pay him and work it out, but for now, you know, we don't want to just fork that over and make him feel content, right? That he he maybe did something that again, maybe he, they don't feel like he's quite a fourteen million dollar player. Maybe they feel like he's a like an eight million dollar player or something of that sort. Um, so I get that, but he's certainly going to be here and start next year. There's no other means to just replacing him. So I think he's going to start, but it's, I wouldn't be stunned if they didn't pick it up, put it that way. I, I would, I think they will. If you're asking me, will they, or won't they I think they will, but I wouldn't be stunned if they said no. Cause I mean, this isn't unheard of. Like Jack Conklin's fifth year was turned down by Tennessee. Right. So like, yeah, it's not unheard of here to, to, to guys who are kind of fringe good um to great to, to good enough like getting turned down on these things i think if you look at it more like yeah i know it's 14 one listen you've made this point to me uh and i think that it's very accurate and you can see it when like you know me and jack are doing our free agent series and right now we're going through the offensive line tackle guard center uh, there's just not that many good offensive linemen out there in, in the NFL, right? Like it's hard to find a guy that's just average in, in the pass in, in pass pro and in the run game and and can you know adequately fill these. There's just not enough of them, right, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at Jed Wills and you look at, at what, yeah, sure he has not been as good as we've wanted him to be, but at times he has. He, he has done his job. He played over a thousand snaps last year. He's played through injuries uh, at times, um, which is like the culture of the Browns' offensive line, right? Uh, back going back to Treader, and it's just uh, I think he will start next year, and I think that he will probably get his fifth year picked up and start another year after that year too, before they make a decision on him. That's just where I lean. Yeah, I understand it because I've I've noted it like you said, like the the two years of of everybody's contract. They can get out of Wyatt, they can get out of Joel, they can get out of yeah. Conklin's will be done. Like it all makes sense to align for two more years of like we don't want to mess with the offensive line for two years, so we're gonna keep this intact. This is our all in big time window. We'll retool the O line as we go from here, but like this is what we want to do right now and push forward and I get that angle too. So you always try to look at it from multiple lenses. I'm trying to do that. I could see a world where they don't pick it up and I could see reasons why they don't pick it up, motivating reasons, but also an understanding that, Hey man, if you go out and do what we're expecting of you, we will take care of you. And that that's an angle that could take is as well. And you know, maybe his Browns tell them, Hey, we understand we're sacrificing here. So if you go out and prove that you can do this and show us that you can play at this level of consistency, we understand we might pay you 17 off the rip here instead of 14. We're losing a little money, but we want to see it. We need to see it. Go earn it, and then we'll pay you uh, is yes. an angle they could take, right? You know, And again, it, it's not foolproof necessarily because if they do turn that down and Jed has a, a fantastic year, a la, again, the example is on the current team, Conklin, 
the Titans didn't pick up that fifth year for Conklin. He had a nice year coming off of an injury and then he's on the market and gets paid nice money. And, and, and uh, that's a risk you take is letting a tackle that matters go as well. So there's give and take to this whole thing. It's not cut and dry. The one thing I do feel really certain about, he's going to be your starting left tackle next year. He's on a, he's yeah. on a cheap deal. Uh, all that comes with that. And, and you're taking advantage of that for a minimum uh, of one more year. So we'll address that more at, at a little bit of a, a bit of a later date. But that to me is like certainly one angle I wanted to sort of hit as the fifth year numbers came out that those, those definitely matter. Yeah, it will yeah. be interesting for sure. Um, okay. We're going to take a break and then we're going to flip over to the kind of subject text line of this thing, which is we're, we're digging into free agency. We did a primer the other day with Jared Mueller, uh, where we looked at just kind of two big questions. Now I want to dig positionally, flip through what we're looking at, why we're looking at it, who we're looking at. Um, we're going to start with quarterback, which doesn't have a ton of meat on that bone, Brad, but it's it's worth a couple angles of discussing, uh, in my opinion, a couple good questions for that position. So we'll be right back. So quarterback's interesting. we we'll probably do quarterback. I won't do it when we get to draft study stuff after free agency, but – I think there's a question around the draft that we'll pose in here too. So like the the thing that's interesting, most interesting to me about the situation, we obviously know who the starter is, and it's a question of like, are we overthinking anything else? Because Brad, they kept Kellen Mond. They, they claimed him before the year, which was a surprise to all of us. And then they decided to do the rare thing, which is far more rare than you think it is as a, as a listener. They kept him on the roster of the 53 all year, but didn't make him game day active one time. I do not remember the exact number of, our, our own Anthony Reinhardt gave us some information on how rare that is. It is not very common to keep a guy on the 53 and not have him active for a single game because obviously you, know, you have a 53-man roster and your 46-man game day roster. Now that number moves a little bit with extra guys that they've since the COVID year have given some um, waivers to extra guys being active. But uh, listen, man, interesting. I think we, I think it might be – put it this way. I'll pose it to you. Are we overthinking it? Are they just like Kellen Mond's the backup and – They'll maybe bring in a UDFA camp arm or two, like a Josh Rosen type, but Mond is just the backup. And are you comfortable with Mond just being the backup? Not really. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. It. Listen, I, I'm not really comfortable with, I guess, at this point with Mond being the backup. I, I think it is, I guess I, to your point, I guess I didn't realize, like, I realized that he was on the roster and everything, right? And they were keeping him around, but I guess I didn't realize how unheard of that is. So it makes me kind of rethink this thing a little bit. But I would, I was under the impression they would proceed by bringing in a cheap free agent, like one million, two million dollars, whatever league minimum free agent there's enough guys out there i mean there's a million of them right uh on the free agent market to compete with mond uh and then bring in a udfa or whoever you draft and those are your four camp arms i i think where i go with and you you've got some points that like where i go with it is if they didn't like and i think this is what you're saying too if they didn't like mond who again we don't have an we don't have any exposure to he didn't play in no. the preseason in cleveland on top of um you know the issue of the fact that we didn't we didn't see him in training camp so there's like this complete and unknown right of like 
Who is this guy? What can he do? The Browns seem to like him. They actually talked pretty positively about him throughout the year, Brad, in terms of scout team and like looks he was giving them, especially for mobile quarterbacks and all that. So I don't, I don't, all I know is that the Browns opinion of him is high because you're not paying a guy when you could obviously just have kept Josh Dobbs in that role. Like you could have, you could have done the same thing for Josh Dobbs that you did for him. And Dobbs, he obviously gets a chance to go somewhere else and has a start with Tennessee, two starts that really matter. And like they, they clearly covet him. Now he's on a rookie deal for a little while longer. I think two more years um, in there as well. And, uh, you know, we, we missed a Jed Wills point that I really wanted to hit that we might have to come back to at the end, Brad, because I think it's that important. Uh, but it's just sparked my idea. But back to quarterback, like I just think I think Mond is like uh, he's just they're showing that they value him. And I, I think that there's a potential for some camp arms. And I'll let you kind of give some people you think might be good to come in as a practice squad veteran type. But at this point, what evidence do we have that they, they're not going to keep him around? It's pretty low, in my yeah. opinion. You know, I think people have thought at the beginning, like when. Jacoby got done with his time. They bring Jacoby, but there's no way they're not paying any relative money to that backup role, like at all. Um, that matters, uh, largely because Jacoby's going to price himself into a starter. I think Jacoby's far beyond being a backup. Yes. I think he's got a chance to start somewhere, but like to me, I, I don't know, man. To me, it's interesting is there are probably some people you know and feel more comfortable with, and maybe we'll have a different opinion of Mond if we like some of the training camp stuff and preseason games we see. But yeah. he feels like, to me, they're, they're going to go with him, and then maybe, like, uh, do you have a couple names that could be veteran practice squad types? But I don't – I mean, I guess we should say this. Give, give some names of guys who are out there who would be cheap backup, veteran backup types, and then we can kind of pilfer off of that and talk about – uh talk about whether they're potentially a practice squad body. Yeah, so I mean, me and Jack have been doing this this uh free agent series, right? And so we did the quarterbacks and there's a bunch of unrealistic ones, obviously, the Lamar, Gino, Daniel Jones, Garoppolo, Mayfield are all going to be free agents. But then you get into Brissett, who obviously is unrealistic, you know, PFF hasn't projected it like 8 million per year, that's way too much, right? Sam Darnold, uh Mike White, Cooper Rush, Joe Flacco, Taylor Heineke, Teddy Bridgewater, Jared Stidham, Gardner Minshew, Josh Dobbs, Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard, Drew Locke, uh, and yeah, that's about it for guys that there's a there's a number of names here. There's one that Jack really likes, Jeff Driscoll. Uh, he's really high on, but then there's you get down to your like your McSorley's, your Kyle Allen's, Nathan Peterman. I think. Uh, those are kind of pointless to me, but Chase Daniel, uh, Case Keenum, Chad Henney, Brandon Allen, Tim Boyle, Blaine Gabbert, and Mason Rudolph. So there's a lot of names. There's a lot of names. Uh, uh, the guys that I keyed in on, Jake, just because we know how this front office operates, they like to go to guys they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mullins has been in Stefanski's system and Shanahan's system. Uh, has had some success. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, Nick Mullins makes a lot of sense if, if, and a big if, they let him get away from Minnesota. I kind of think they might have him inked in as their backup there again uh, to 
um, cousins. But if 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 he goes and you know he's two million dollars a year, sure, I'm down with Nick Mullins. And I think Dobbs makes a lot of sense to bring back actually, uh, because uh, you could bring him back on a million dollars, two million dollars, or one and a half or whatever with limited guarantee money, not cost much at all, and put him in camp against Mond and get the best of, of those two. Th- those are great names. A good list of guys that are out there. And you're, you're right at the beginning. Like there's just, there's a ton of guys out there, man. Like th- there's just like yeah. these types are pretty available um, that you can go get. And my, I guess we should look at like what we think is going to happen, which to me, I think they're, I, I think even I, if Dobbs isn't a backup somewhere, I think that's just crazy. Like Tennessee just lets him go. I, I, I guess that to, to me would be pretty wild, but he should be somewhere. I, my, my hunch is that, like I said earlier, they're going to keep, Kellamon is the backup. Um, continue to mold him as on a cheap deal the way they, the way they hope to um, continue to like I said have some sort of mirrored image of not that you can mirror Kellen Mond and Deshaun Watson and call that you know one you know one A and one B but just a guy who's a the the archetype of this player right a mobile yeah, quarterback with enough. a yeah. lively ish arm um, that that makes sense to me and i think they do bring in some some camp young arm i actually think this year they won't have an experienced practice squad guy i actually think they'll 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 look to uh to bring in some younger arm that they have you know higher hopes for uh at least in my opinion they're going to try to develop that position and i guess with the developing thing that i'm sort of laying out here the question is do they draft a guy like late round pick right. 230 or pick 190 draft a guy? Because there are a lot of people here, Brad, and this is a big question as we close this one. And then I want to point out something about Jed, like there's people that believe that you should draft a quarterback every year. The Eagles are obviously with the, with the pick of Jalen hurts when they still had Carson Wentz. And uh, you know, people point to the picking of, of Patrick Mahomes, despite already having um, it's a, it's a big talking point this week. Alex Smith was already in KC and there, there are examples of this and the Patriots have been longtime believers in, picking quarterbacks when they, you know, cause they can use them as trade chips and there's a lot of movable parts there. And like, there's just people who think you should always be investing in the quarterback position. And while you might think that's ludicrous, I think it's something the Browns should be at least moderately considering um, at yeah, this point, because absolutely. Deshaun Watson, who we all think is, 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 is great uh, and has been great, but obviously wasn't the great that we were accustomed to um, just last year. And there's, less than zero i wouldn't say there's a zero percent chance there's there's a non like that's the phrase right non-zero percent chance that he could just never be the guy he was back in houston and it's again it's not something we want to live in it's not a reality we want to think about because of the investment and the borderline trauma that it has all caused but there is a world in which he's not the top 10 top five uh, elite quarterback that we hoped he would be and with that you start to think should we continue to be looking at stabbing taking you know stabs at the quarterback at late round or whatever to try to see if you can just unearth somebody not saying you need to you know brock purdy and i don't even know what brock purdy really is still at this point but like you know like just taking picks at quarterback late and trying to find somebody that um you end up seeing developing and highly thinking highly of or what i guess the question is brad would you do that would you be looking at continuing to to take those late picks and investing in court, or do you think they're so do the, these three years, they're so depleted in picks that they shouldn't even be entertaining that angle. No, I, I actually am of the belief that you should always be doing that because even if you do unearth somebody, 
Like, it's just extra value. Like, you can turn that into an asset. Like, a quarterback is such a valuable asset. Like, if you unearth something and somebody gets hurt and somebody comes in and plays well or some of you develop a quarterback nicely and and there's some good buzz around him, I mean, just think about how much, uh, you know, like backup that somebody feels highly about right around the NFL you could get in return trade value whatever it is the case is if Deshaun does work out um, but I think you should always be trying to unearth some sort of uh, value at quarterback because uh, it's good business in the NFL right it is because when they either are forced into a role or they have some preseason success or whatever it is a, th- a thing people are always looking for so those we'll guys, roll if you the can, dice on, yeah, hundred percent. If you can get yeah. a guy who looks like he's worth more than that sixth round pick, and he has a couple great preseason games, or he's forced to be the backup and he's forced to start a couple regular season games and plays well, you know, like it is, uh, it's something that can turn itself into a three or four rounds higher type of pick, you know. So, I, I think I, I'm not saying I'm hunting quarterbacks in these drafts, and I don't think you are either. But I'm saying if they look at this pick 190 or 231 and they're like hey we actually have a pretty high grade on that guy then take him like i then take him and try to develop him and see what comes of it and you never know he could end up again you never know you you talk to 49ers fans and they're like trey lance is gonna be a pro bowler and high hopes and then all of a sudden brock purdy has to start seven eight games it's like well this guy might be a good enough player to start you just never know and i think that that's why they should still always be kicking the tires on that and i imagine they they sort of will be. So um, anything on quarterback to close, Brad, before we I, I want to revisit that Jed average per year number. Yeah, real quick, just to clarify. So you don't think any of these, they'll even touch any of these guys, uh, veterans. You think it'll be just what, uh, either a drafted guy or a couple UDFAs and Mond and Watson, and that's it? I lean toward they develop a young guy. Like I lean toward yeah. they cut, bring in a UDFA that they like and they uh, end up keeping him. Because they, they brought a kid in last year. The, it was the Alcorn State kid. I can't remember his name. They will probably bring in a veteran simultaneously, but I kind of predict that they're going to end up keeping the young guy as the UDFA. That's the angle yeah. that I uh, that I think. But I, I could also see them saying, hey, if we're going to have somebody like Mond with relative inexperience as our backup, then we probably should look at maybe keeping a veteran type on the practice squad in case something does happen and we end up going into a game and Mond is the starter or we we need to have an answer. So I could see it going both ways, but as we sit here, I kind of feel like they're going to go young and try to either pick up a prioritized UDFA that they really liked and try to develop him. um, Or, or like I said, uh, they could go the other way, but I just feel like the, the, the prioritization UDFA is the angle that I feel like they'll end up taking. That's just a hunch. Okay. What do you think? Uh, And, uh, yeah, I, I I think they'll bring in a, yeah a veteran to compete with Mond or whatever. But I think they probably want Mond to be the guy. Like you know, in the end, like you're mm-hmm. saying, kind of. Um, I will throw it out there that when we did do this piece, that Jack and I mentioned Jeff Driscoll liked him as an option, a camp arm, and then he also his other guy that varied from who I chose. Uh, my last guy was Teddy Bridgewater, who's probably a little too expensive, but, um, somebody that, you know, if you wanted to really sure up the position, like if Mond wasn't the guy and you didn't feel good about it, like he, I feel like he would be a good backup, uh, and a good like sounding board. Cause like, I look at, I look at backup quarterback, Jake, like 
a player coach. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like a backup quarterback should be like a player coach. Like, he should serve as a sounding board and a, a person that uh, is almost like a counselor slash coach to the quarterback, the, the starter, and is ready to play at the drop of a dime. Like, it's a tough job, but, like, that's what a good one should do. So, like, a Teddy Bridgewater can be really valuable or, you know, in, in that sort of a scenario. And the other name that... Jack threw out there was Mike White. Uh, so just throwing hmm. out there what he put out there. Uh, all those guys are projected around like $1 million, $2 million. I mean, they're all like the same price. So uh, it depends on what kind of contract you draw. But, you know, worth interest uh, in, in, in throwing those names out there. But I think you're right. I think they want Mon to be that guy that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, Jack had Dobbs, White, and... Driscoll and I had Mullins, Dobbs, and Bridgewater. So there you have it. I like it. I think if I'm reading the the prediction side of what I think the Browns, if I'm reading the tea leaves from them, it points to Mond. If it were me yes. and I could get Dobbs back on a minimum, I would move on from Mond and keep Dobbs because I think Dobbs, to your larger point about backups, to which I have some agreements with, and also just again a player archetype fit. Like I think Dobbs is the perfect backup to Deshaun Watson, like in every sense. And um, if he was, again, I know they're pinching pennies everywhere. And that's something that yes. we sometimes are missing right now is that while we think that, Hey, they can create this much cap space and they can do these things. The, the bill comes due and you have to, if you're going to worry about the bill due later, because it does eventually come due, you do have to cut corners in many, many places. And like, Quarterback, backup quarterbacks, just an obvious one. There are hidden ones that we don't even know about. Backup quarterbacks, just an obvious one. So, like, I could be into Dobbs, but again, now is Dobbs because he started a game, had some minor success, it looked competent. Does that mean he's now priced out of it and he's a $5 million backup somewhere? Certainly possible. But if, like I said, the one I'd entertain there, if it were me making the decision, is finding a way to keep Dobbs if he was about as cheap as it could come because Deshaun does take hits. He does take hits. Yeah. He does extend plays. He does have some track record of this uh, to, on a minor scale. Um, so I would be interested in some level of, uh, I guess, known competence at that position without sacrificing salary cap that is going to be every single penny is uh, is vital. So that's where yeah. I would leave it. Uh, looking again, I wanted to talk about Jed. Now, we talk about next year. Uh, I, I, may, I failed to make this point. He was making $4 million next year. That's obviously super cheap. But if you're like, he's making 14.1, he's not worth that. Look at the players who are making 14.1 before the salary cap jumps. You're talking about the 20th highest paid tackle here, Brad. You're talking about Deion Dawkins, who we saw struggle all year for Buffalo, a guy who was not good enough in the playoffs for them. And I know that's not a great barometer, but like these are the guys that are down in that area. Like Deion Dawkins, Joseph Noteboom, who's with the Rams, Charles Leno, Rob Havenstein, Dwayne Brown, Chuck Wuma Corfor is down at the like 10 million range. Like that's that's where you're at, man. That's the type of money that the 15 million, 14.1, that's still really cheap for a left tackle. And like thinking you can just go replace that, which again is an affordable number, is sort of just like again, video game generation thinking to me. Um, yep. as we wrapped up that subject, I meant to hit on it while we talked about it, but it's just not as simple as, that. and it's not the number you hear 14 million and you're like, that's high. Well, the cap's different than it was even two years ago. Like you have to yep. understand where it's all moving and how it's moved there. And the people who are at around that number. And I think that number at 15, sorry, 14.1 will be a really fair number for 
Jed in a fifth year situation. But again, I can understand them wanting to make him earn it a little more than maybe they feel like he has earned it. So uh, I'll leave it at that. Any closing remarks on topics we've hit today, Brad, uh, or any other games you had against LeBron where you put up similar stats? <laughs> I wish there were more games against LeBron, but uh, I would just say this. Okay, so, and I wanted to hit on this with you today. Uh, I mentioned to you, I won't take, I won't be long. Um, but, so, you know, you've got your over-the-cap, your spot track, your PFF contract projections out there, and this question was kind of posed to uh, on our in our forums over at the OBR, but, like, you know, they're very different, right? Like, you get, you get OTC over-the-cap's evaluation, which isn't really, like, a true projection of the contract. There's an algorithm there. PFF, I think they have the most accurate ones, uh, but they only do like the top hundred free agents, right, or whatever. And then there's market value at Spot Track. And I heard Mike Janetti, who have, I've actually had on uh, All Eyes on Cleveland a number of times to talk about the salary cap and stuff, talking on his show about how they figure theirs out. And basically, like all of these different places have different algorithms. So when you're looking at them and you're like, why doesn't this number even close to this number? Or this number's, you know, this makes no sense. They're so far apart, right? Like yeah. there's no consensus uh, for what this player is worth on the free agent market. Um, he put it like this, Jake, that uh, they come up with a, a baseline market value, right? and then follow that up with expert analysis, which makes sense to me in like, like you'll get some where I think a, a lot of what over the cap does sometimes, and it's not like a, a knock on them or anything, but like their algorithm has like everything thrown in there. They're trying to account for every single factor and other sites that do this do that too. Um, and I'm not saying one does it better than the other, but like, for example, his approach is, we're just going to get this baseline number where we know that that's a starting point and then we can look at the market and, and this and that like for example if i have player x projected at a, a certain number uh, that number is going to change if player a b and c sign two days before him and they're you know it changes the market immediately and there's a million other factors that go into that you can't account for all of that in an algorithm, right? Like that's just yeah. crazy to try to do. It just becomes a convoluted mess. Uh, so I kind of think that um, when you look at these numbers, take them all with a grain of salt and make your own evaluation, you know, based on like of what like you know about the market, right? Like this stuff isn't rocket science. I do think PFF has the most accurate ones I've seen. But like I said, they are for like the top, hundred free agents but i do think that they look to be the most accurate uh, because i they probably do some of that too like here's a number but we do have to account for how many players are in free agency uh how good they are other business being done this uh, mm -hmm. off season uh extension wise um you know all of that stuff has to come into account and that's hard to all account for all at once in one algorithm and i just wanted to point that out because people have a lot of questions about that it feels like to me it's similar to the grading system of players where it's like we have a way of doing it. We have a thought. We don't know the exact. We do know we have a great uh, feel for what this guy's role is, but we don't know. We don't have the coach teaching him. We don't have the exact pin down 
responsibility of this player, but we have a great feel for what he's supposed to do, whether he failed or, or, or got it right. And like the thing yep. you're saying is don't take it as gospel. There are angles to these negotiations, to these things that we don't know. And we, we, we are, uh, um, unaware of and lead to significant amounts of money, one direction or the other. And like, that's the same thing with player grading, right? Some people take it as gospel and it's like, Hey, they might not actually view that guy as a bad corner just because pro football focus has him as a 52.1 coverage grade. Right. Uh, cause there are flaws in certain angles of grading, no matter what you do, it's just hard and pro football focus has actually been relatively open about that. So, you know, you'll hear yeah. me talk about taking certain player grades more, um, serious than others just because of positional and, and some of the blind spots that they've admitted they have, right? You can only do so much grading based on positional and like, you know, staff and all that stuff and like grading every single snap, even off like coverage is an example, grading coverage, like um, uh, not non, non-targeted coverage, right? Like that's, you either did your job or didn't, but sometimes that's hard to grade, you know? So they don't, there's certain elements that they don't grade, but anyway, same with this, right? There's, there's certain parts of the negotiation, the cap, another player signing um, yeah. bargaining tools, right? The, the, you know, the, yeah. the climate of some team bidding against another team. There's just stuff we don't know there. So yeah, I think they do a good job of giving us a baseline of like what to expect, but there are always going to be years where it's like, Oh, that guy actually got one year, 7 million. What the hell? That doesn't make sense. Or that guy got yeah. four years, 60. What? Like you just yeah. don't, there's some things you don't know there. It's not like, it's not, again, it's not a video game system where you're putting in some blind bid and crossing your fingers when you hit the advance button. Like this is yep. real life people doing real life negotiating. And that comes with layers that we don't understand from the outside. So um, always good to understand that it's nice. The thing that Pro Football Focus has done a great job of, both in their calculations of projections that is mixed on top of their player grading, is that they've given us a baseline for conversation, right? Like yes. the, the grades are a baseline for conversation and understanding of performance, and the contract value predictions is a great off-season baseline for you know player movement and and all that comes with that. So that that stuff is like. You can get mad at it, and some people do, and try to argue with him. But or you can just be like thankful that we have this tool where we like you know if it was nineteen ninety eight, like we don't have any angle to talk about this stuff. We don't have any idea. We don't have any history collection. So that part of it is all uh, you know. It's it's it does far more good than bad, Brad. But that's a good talking point, in my opinion. Man. Yeah, you know, don't get upset with the discrepancies. Just try to understand them and and realize that there are factors that aren't always going to be uh, a numerical value they can throw in here and it's not always going to be right like you said there's real life factors that will be applied to this and markets are going to change uh, every year like the, the market's going to play out differently they're they're not it's not as predictable as we think right like you said it's a great baseline point to start conversation with but it doesn't mean it's going to be exact bingo Bingo, bingo. All right, good stuff, man, all around. A lot of good talking points. Huge day for the Browns on Thursday coming up, and Joe Thomas, hopefully he gets the call and we can all start to do some celebrating and reminiscing, and all the good stuff will come for Joe uh, as well. So uh, that's probably it. We didn't even get to touch on the Super Bowl, unfortunately. We'll get to that later in the week. I'm sure you will on your show, Brad. I'll try to, uh, on this one as well, predict what I think will happen and talk a little bit more about that. But overall, a great show. Great stuff going on at the OBR where we have, like Brad talked about, free agency series. 
posted on uh, guards today. I believe we got to, to talk about the guards a little bit. They could bring yep. in. You've been doing a great job with that with Jack. And Jack is the point man on. Uh, I've been doing my daily mock series. He's putting together free agent predictions and scenarios based off of that as well. So you're getting that stuff like every day right now, which is a lot of really great content and a lot of ways to. What we're trying to do is invoke thought about what the Browns could look like next year. Available options for them. Available options for uh, draft prospects scenarios. This is what the team could look like. And uh, the goal is to obviously teach you and you go into free agency to be a better water cooler chat conversationalist, right? Or if you work from home, hitting up your coworkers in Slack or texting your friends, having a good feel for free agents and draft prospects and all that. That's work and trying to uh, trying to do over at the OBR is teach you all about what's available this offseason from, from how the Browns can get better. So I think we're doing a good job of it. Brad, thanks for joining today, man. And uh, you know, we'll get with you next week, as we always do, brother. I always appreciate your time. Appreciate you too, Jake, and uh, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, always a blast. For me, for Brad, we're going to sign out with that. Everybody at the OBR, thanks for stopping by today. Go Browns!